Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring, bringing insight into the history of supply chain management and exposing you to some of the industry's thought leaders and driving forces. In this episode, we sat down with founder and CEO of Oculogix, Charu Thomas, to learn about her young career and specifically her role in starting a company. It all sounds pretty boring, so let's see if Charu can prove me wrong. Charu, we met when you were a student at the great Georgia Tech. Uh, if I recall, you presented what is now Oculogix to a group of Apex professionals at a networking event. I think it was at UPS. Today, I look forward to learning more about your story and what you're going to, what, what you've been up to these days. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, so Charu, let's. Uh, I don't want to go back too far, but maybe let, let's start with college. You know, how did you? I mentioned you were at Georgia Tech. How did you end up going to Georgia Tech, and, and what were some of your successes there? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be a Georgia Tech alumnus now. Uh, originally, I actually wanted to be a mathematician, and I originally envisioned myself, you know, writing proofs all day with maybe a cup of coffee. That was like the career path that I was planning on going into, but I ended up going to Georgia Tech for industrial engineering. It was an incredibly well-known and, and awarded program, so I really liked the fact that it was kind of a practical application to mathematics, uh, which is why I decided to major in it. And then from there, did research with the inventor of Google Glass for a number of years, published that work internationally, won best paper. Um, and that's kind of how I got into the, uh, the world of supply chain as well as wearables and eventually retail as well. So that's kind of how it started back at Georgia Tech. So how do you, um, let's, let's talk about how you think or what makes you up as a person. Are, are your parents entrepreneurs or academia or kind of what, what do they do? No, they definitely had a huge impact on my life. They're actually both in software, but they did have an academic background. My mom has a PhD in physics, and my dad was also working towards his PhD in physics. Yeah, they gave me an incredible upbringing, very technical, but that's actually what probably fed my interest in math growing up. It's interesting. I just I interviewed somebody else recently. He, he's the other end of his career than you. He told me he studied math at university, and we got off the topic because they didn't have computer science when we started. He said that was the closest <laughs> thing. No, I'm not saying he was old, but he was older than you. But, you know, yeah. that's the thing. He said that's that his line of thinking was, was around math. And if you really think about it, that's kind of what computer science is, logical thinking. And Georgia Tech, obviously, is one of the, is, I say one of, I'll go with the best program for industrial management, industrial engineering in the world. Yeah, so, no, very thankful to have gotten a great education there. How did the classes or, or your involvement with things at Georgia Tech help you in your current role? Well, actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. I don't think I would have ever thought of entrepreneurship as a path forward if it wasn't for Georgia Tech and the ecosystem that's built there. Obviously, startup culture, you know, smaller than in other parts of the country. It's, it's huge still in Atlanta and in Tech Squares specifically. So I, I got exposed to that pretty early, which was, which was helpful. I think the classes itself, they definitely prepared me also with they were really practical, right? Like we learned about profit maximization and, and process improvement, which all impacts what we do today. Well, yeah, supply chain is all about, it's really about optimization. Regardless right. of what you're doing, whether it's a big optimization or a small one, it's all about, you know, doing more with less. That's the idea. So I'm glad you mentioned that word. <laughs> now you're kind of a, 
a mini celebrity from what I've found. I was doing some research on you and you've gotten quite a, <laughs> quite a few awards and Forbes 30 under 30. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I, I definitely am not a mini celebrity, but uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is what is that? What, I don't know much about the award. Obviously, you have to be under 30 and it had to be somewhat successful. How did that happen? Yeah, no, it was really crazy. I mean, I just got an email on a December morning that, you know, was asking about company and just about myself, which was interesting. And I was like, oh, hey, interesting. I didn't I didn't really know too much about it until it came out later that day. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like such a great honor. I didn't expect it until, I guess, kind of like a couple hours ago, so to speak. So it was kind of nice. <laughs> well, it helps now, especially in your role as, I guess, your CEO and founder. Right. So it, it helps in that capacity because it gives you some credibility. Yeah, absolutely. And you've done other things that, while at Georgia Tech. I, I'm just going to list off a few names here and you can fill in the gaps. TechCrunch, Top Pick, ACM, ISWC, Best Paper, Winner of Atlanta Startup Battle 3.0, Microsoft, Imagine Cup Global Finals, Atlanta Startup Battle. What are some of these things and what do they represent? I mean, they were all incredible opportunities. TechCrunch is actually a little bit more recent, so that happened maybe a year ago after I graduated from college. But other than that, yeah, a lot of those were incredible opportunities. One was an academic conference where we published our work, one best paper there. Others were startup competitions for investment, which actually kind of jump-started the business entirely, which is crazy to think about today. They were just all incredible opportunities. I think one of them it said you, you received an investment. What was that, the... Atlanta startup battle, you received an investment for your company for that? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So these are very entrepreneurial. It sounds like they support entrepreneurial organizations. That's really what the goal is. Yeah, absolutely. And at university, I don't think you mentioned him yet, but you mentioned a professor working. I don't know if you said Thad's name yet, but who is Thad and what did you do with, with him? So Thad is an incredible person. He is a professor of interactive computing at Georgia Tech. He's also the inventor of Google Glass and has been in wearable computing as a pioneer since the 1990s. He's actually one of the first, you know, cyborgs in the world, really. And he's just been such an impactful professor to me. So actually, when I was in college, and I thought, okay, I want to start a business, I went to his office hours, and I essentially told him I wanted to start a business. He was a prominent professor, I wanted to get his feedback. And at first, he kind of laughed at me a little bit, I think he was kind of guffawing, <laughs> but he gave me a book, Business Plans That Win Dollar Signs, Lessons from the MIT Enterprise Forum. And obviously he was being facetious, but he also said, when you're a billionaire, give me 10%. He was definitely joking, but it still gave me that vote of confidence that I really wanted. And so it definitely changed my life. So I ended up going back to his office hours every week. Uh, I ended up working with him on research and jump-started my interest in wearables altogether. So he's been really, really impactful in my life. Was he one of your, your teachers or instructors? No, he was just a research instructor. Oh. So I actually met him through a research symposium, I mm -hmm. believe. They were essentially showing all the work off. And I think I originally met him through one of those events. Which makes my next statement even more impressive because I encourage my daughter, who's in university now, I, I encourage her to go out and meet the professors, you know, just, you know, just go meet them. They, they have office hours for a reason. They, they, they need to be approached. Yeah. And the okay. fact that you did that, I think is a big step. So I, I would encourage any, any students listening to take that into heart, into consideration though. I mean, make it worth their time. They don't just want to sit there, but, but what's, what's interesting for you is he wasn't even your professor. It wasn't even your office hours. He just had open office hours and you decided to go. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, 
I was really invested in augmented reality and the technology of it at first. So that's what prompted me to go because I knew that he was the expert on campus. Well, that's a part of it, you know, especially being at a great university such as Georgia Tech that you, you have the opportunity to meet those type of people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's all about networking, but, you know, some people are good at it. Some people can, can improve, but you're a great example there. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Something else I didn't realize this, you were only in university for three and a half years? Yeah. So you, that means you either graduated early or you didn't graduate. I don't know which one. <laughs> no, I graduated. I okay, did. good for you. Thank you. Yeah. Was, that, was that part of your mission or your plan or just worked out that way? It just kind of worked out that way. It, was, it wasn't like I was planning it for a super long time. I thought you were going to tell me you're a Mensa, but that's Mensa. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, no. I don't actually believe in IQ tests either. No? So. Okay. Different topic for a different podcast. <laughs> but No, that's impressive. Three and a half years. I know many people plan for five years when they start. Yeah. Right. And for a while, Georgia Tech had the reputation, not, not recent, but historically, the reputation was you don't, you don't graduate from Georgia Tech, you survive. <laughs> and you did it in three and a half years. That's impressive. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I was really lucky. I had a great opportunity to do like dual enrollment and AP classes in high school. So, like, Dual enrollment? You mean when you were in high school? Yeah. You were yeah. taking classes at Georgia Tech? No, not at Georgia Tech, but I was taking classes at a local community college, actually. Okay, for, that gave you college credit. Okay. Now, you did, a, you did an internship at university? I did. I did. I did one internship with Martin Brower, who's the supply chain for McDonald's North America, and that was actually my first time in a warehouse. So that was through university? They, they helped you get the opportunity? Or is that something else I want people to take advantage of is these internships? Yeah, I actually got it through research as well. So... Prior to meeting Thad, I also did research with Professor Sweet. His name is Dr. Larry Sweet, and he is currently a worldwide director of automation at Amazon. But prior to that, he was a professor as well in the Robotics Institute at Georgia Tech. So I was doing work with him in logistics simulation for autonomous vehicles and essentially got an internship through that. So that was my initial, you know, I guess how I moseyed into supply chain randomly. <laughs> it was through research as well. Well, that's interesting because Georgia Tech, although they don't, they do not have a formal supply chain program. They are one of the best in supply chain management in general. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we all will have to give a shout out, Dr. Larry Sweet, for getting you connected at McDonald's Supply Chain Internship. Yeah, absolutely. I was very. And, you, and that's where you learned about warehousing, and I think I read somewhere that's. It's kind of where the idea for Oculogics came up. Is that you wanted to visualize loading trucks better or, or something I can't? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, while I was there, I learned a lot about warehouse processes. One of them is called diagramming, which was essentially diagramming the back of a truck. I had a lot of colleagues who were doing it manually, and it looked very, very frustrating for them. So <laughs> I was trying to come up with a better way that they could essentially do their jobs. That's kind of been the idea behind everything that I've been doing for the past couple of years, too, because it all com comes back to, okay, how can we enable people to do their jobs better and more efficiently? It's interesting. I've, I looked at your website. Can I say your website, Cyborg? Go that's, for it. Well, that's pretty neat. So I'll say <laughs> cyborgcharu.com. So check that out. That was neat. Uh, again, my daughter's in university and studying computer science, so she's all about that stuff. I'm going to show her the website. Yeah. That's neat where you, you know, some of the quotes from your site, I think you were talking about we can make our bodies smarter. And the cool thing about science is that we don't really know anything. Just those kind of things. It kind of sounds like what you were talking about. 
visualization, you know, those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can like invent the future. That's kind of how it started. Yeah. Invent the future. That's cool about research. Yeah. You were also in research at university. So that was a job for you. So you graduated no, was, and then went into research or you were doing it along? No, the no, no. I just did it while I was in, in university. Okay. I stopped doing research after. What gave you the courage to start the business? So you are the, the, the founder. But let me let me lay it out first. You you do you run a business today. It's called what's it called? Oculogics. It started out that where I met you was improving pig productivity in the warehouse. Is that correct? So that that yeah. can't be a lot of labor. Now it's changed a little bit. But we'll talk about that in a moment. But so how did you get into this? I mean, it takes a lot of whatever time, money, emotional equity to do to start a business. So how did you get involved in this business? It really just stems from research, obviously doing research for a couple of years enabled me to understand a lot about the industry. I understood all the alternatives that existed, the pros and cons, how people were making decisions, as well as the size of the problem. That was kind of the start of it, honestly. Thad came and said, hey, you need to do this, or, or Larry Sweet said, gave you the encouragement or something you had an internal desire to run your own business. Yeah, I think it came down to I, I just wanted to run my own business. I started becoming more interested in entrepreneurship by being around Tech Square and going to those entrepreneurship nights at ATDC. And I just started going to entrepreneurial things and seeing entrepreneurial people. And that kind of influenced me that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. So, yeah, I mean, that's essentially where it started. It started through research. And when I was graduating, it was kind of like a moment where I was trying to decide, okay, do I want to go to grad school, get a PhD, you know, do research, or do I want to, you know, go full-time, be an entrepreneur? And it was really confusing because I couldn't tell which one made more sense for me because I'm naturally a really good researcher or, you know, I, I was just very comfortable in that position because, you know, I, I'd done it for a long time and entrepreneurship was very different. My mom actually encouraged me to become an entrepreneur. That's kind of what made me do it originally. Well, that's, that's got me to the jets where I wanted to get to the genesis. There's always, it's either an internal burning desire, which typically comes from somebody or something. Yeah. That's nice. Most people have it. If you don't have it, I don't think you can really do it. <laughs> no, I don't know about that, but. No, that's, that's true. Different, different views. But so when I met you, you were giving the presentation at a meeting at UPS headquarters about the, the picking productivity part of it, part of the solution in the warehouse. Did you ever, and I know it's shifted since then, did you ever get your solution working in warehouses? Yeah, yeah. The solution definitely works in warehouses as well as retail stores. I mean, fundamentally, they're kind of the same thing. So Yeah, they are. Really interesting and insightful. So you started with picking, pick productivity improvements in the warehouse, which I think is fascinating because typically that's where the majority of the labor is consumed and, and, and that, that results in operating budgets. And then I recently read where you've made a transition into uh, retail grocery. So can you tell me a little bit about that change? I mean, I don't think it's fundamentally too much of a change because the idea is still the same and uh, where it is, is also kind of the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the fundamental difference is that a retail store has other people in it, you know, so you have patrons there, which is a little bit more complicated actually from a supply chain standpoint because you can't have as much automation or it makes it a little bit more challenging to automate existing infrastructure. So that's why it was especially interesting for our technology to, to work there because um, all the challenges with automation are where semi-automation can really shine. I think it just came from a little bit about learning 
the challenges of, of the retail buy lane pickup and store landscape versus the challenges of warehouse. I think the warehouse has been investigated for so long that there's so many different variations and solutions out there. So it's easier for buyers to get inundated, but in the retail and buy online pickup and store area, the pain is really strong. And so finding a solution for it can be really, really crazy big. And then you get to the broader market and go everywhere, you know, because they're essentially the same thing. What does your solution do for these retail pickers? So we build a digital order fulfillment platform that enables them to do more in less time. And the way it actually works is they utilize three different modules. One is our back-end system that does batching and orchestration. Then we also have a front-end hands-free fulfillment technology and then a mobile fulfillment technology. So all of those can work in conjunction or um, on top of your existing systems and enables your workers to do more with less. Who buys this, this, your solution in the retail? Generally, we work with enterprise and mid-market customers. Now, there's obviously a lot of people in the organization that we can help with. So uh, traditionally, we sell on the operational side. So the VP of Digital Operations, VP of Supply Chain Services. And that would be for Kroger or Publix or who's going to buy it or Grubhub? And I'm thinking about who, who the users are. Primarily, it's retailers at the enterprise level probably have over $2 billion in revenue. And then at the mid-market level, probably have over $100 million in annual recurring revenue. So obviously, the logos that fit both those markets vary drastically. Like they can be regional players, national, international types of grocers, retailers, fashion. So it kind of works in quite a couple environments. So you're teaching me something new here now. So the the model is for, you know, buy online, pick up in store. That can be, as I said, Grubhub, which is independent contractors, or it can be, and I was at a Walmart recently. I saw them, they were, this is why it's so fun to, you know, go to the grocery store with me because I started asking all these questions. I was following around this lady as she was picking to a cart. It's, I'm, sure, I'm sure I impacted their productivity, but it was neat to see what she was doing. And, but I think she was a Walmart employee. So that would be, would be your target? Yeah, we can serve both models, um, okay. independent contractors, as well as distinct, you know, employees of the grocery store or retailer. Okay. We support multiple models. I think it is very helpful, especially for retailers that might have their own workforce or might be using mm-hmm. an extended workforce that they themselves provide. So, you know. Yeah, because if, you know, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier, basically that user or that operator at the retail store is essentially a picker that, that you see in a warehouse. Well, a warehouse or a retail store is basically a warehouse where you, as the consumer, are the picker. Exactly. And you're just concerned with picking one one order at a time for, you know, 10, 20, 30 lines as opposed to 100, line, 100 orders with 5,000 lines. That's the biggest difference. Absolutely. And that labor model has fundamentally changed because COVID has impacted human, right. like, consumer behavior, right? So... Maybe you don't yeah. want to be walking through the store anymore for your one order. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I know a lot of my older family, they, they're frustrated with this whole change in the model because they, they, yeah. see the, they see the stores are more crowded now, right, because of the pickers. Yeah, right. It's an interesting sociological dynamic that now instead of seeing your neighbors at the store, you see, you know, people that are, if they're basically their own company, they're doing picking for miscellaneous customers. That's neat. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. And if you can, if you can give them technology so they don't have to, they don't have to look at their phone 
put it down in the cart and then go look at the look at the the label on the rack. I guess that's what you're going after, improving that productivity. Plus the obviously the uh, the the accuracy, efficiency, those types of things. So, so that's a neat shift. The name of the podcast, Supply Chain, is boring. This all this does still sound pretty boring to me, Charu. No offense, but um, <laughs> but it is. I think you know retail is supply chain. I, I tell people many times when I introduce them to supply chain, they say they don't know what it is. I always say, have you ever bought anything in your life? As soon as they say yes, I say you are the yeah. reason for the supply chain. So that's really where it all starts. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's great. Exactly right. well, good for you. And I'm, so I'm glad to see you've been able to to make a, tra- a transition into a kind of an alternative markets, you know, for your business. I guess that's what you have to do as CEO is keep in mind where the revenue is going to be coming from. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see the supply chain shift so drastically, and that's why that's why we can be helpful in that area. So sure. you mentioned having some mentors. I think that's another a key lesson for anybody, not only in university, but even in, as their careers progress. I assume you still have contact with your mentors, but yeah. another, another name, Mike, Michael Eisman, is that from Startup Junkie? Was that a, a mentor? Yeah, Michael is amazing. He is definitely a mentor. He's actually the person who first emailed me from the accelerator program called Fuel that we were a part of. And Michael is just awesome. I mean, he's a great person. He's been a great mentor, too. He's he's really the one who kind of introduced us to the Northwest Arkansas ecosystem, which was super important. What is that Northwestern Arkansas ecosystem? Is that where you are now? That is where I am now, and it is very interesting. I mean, if you've never been to Bentonville, Fayetteville, NWA in general, it's a very tight-knit community. It's a beautiful area as well. Everyone's so kind and collaborative and helpful. It's kind of like a little secret, you know. No one really knows too much about it, and then you go there, and and it's the biggest and best surprise ever. It's obviously had a big impact on supply chains and business in general. I just did a recent interview. And one of the, and the person I interviewed said, supply chain is not boring, which is, that's your job is to prove that it's not boring. So, <laughs> but supply chain is not boring, he said, because five of the top 10 wealthiest people in the world come out of supply chain. And, and I asked him who, and he said, Jeff Bezos, obviously. Right. And yeah. then he, he dropped Zara, the founders of Zara, and they're, they're big in supply chain as well. And then he said, and the Walton family, so Walmart, because... Yeah, you think Walmart as a retailer, but in reality, they were really heavy in the transportation, automation, everything else. So that's interesting. And and you happen to be right there in the mecca of of Walmart itself. It's a great place. You should come visit. I guess I I have to make an effort there. I know a lot of people go there that are selling things, you know, trying to get the buyers to get the product in the store. But I've never been myself. But Michael, back to that, I think he paid you a good compliment. I found this through some more research. He said, ideas are important. But the founder's tenacity has a much greater impact on the success of a business. And it was clear very early that Charu has the right stuff. So good for you. <laughs> that is very sweet. That yeah, that's a very kind thing for Michael to say. He's, he's yeah, like, I, yeah, I just copy and pasted. I didn't say it. So. <laughs> so so obviously you're impressing the right people. Yeah, Michael's awesome. Hey Chris, when you're out here, I'll I'll introduce you. We'll all go out. Yeah, please do. I, I need to meet maybe I'll interview him. Yeah. <laughs> There's another name here, and I forgot where I found it, Brian Boudreau. Yes, Brian is amazing. Brian is awesome. He is the previous senior vice president of logistics at Walmart, and he's okay. been an incredible advisor to me as well. Stand-up guy, just incredible guy, always t- has taught me a lot about leadership and communication and all the right things you need to be successful in. So 
I'm very grateful to Brian as well for being an incredible mentor. So it sounds like you need to have you need to have those people in your life, I think. Yeah. And you can probably do without, but it makes it a lot a lot easier to have those those people that serve, I don't want to say stepping stones, but help you along the way. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. We have some other incredible mentors who have all obviously put a lot into us, which is an incredible investment. Like we're so thankful for. <laughs> on that white website, cyborgcharu.com. But on there, I think you mentioned you enjoy drinking tea. I do. You're a tea connoisseur. What's your favorite tea? Oh my gosh, I love so many different types of tea. But one of my favorites, probably passion, just like hibiscus passion, like, you know, the Tazo passion hibiscus. It's very fruity, very delicious. What's your favorite type of tea? Do you have? It's not going to be as sophisticated as your palate, but Chick-fil-A sweet tea. <laughs> oh, I love sweet tea. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a classic. Before we go, I've got just one more question. And something I always like to conclude with is getting recommendations for somebody that wants to start their own company. And in my experience, the biggest thing that I would consider when starting a business is that it takes time. You know, patience is important. And it's really hard. That's the hardest part for me personally. But Rome wasn't built in a day. So you got to maintain that grit and keep going and be positive about it. You think you have to have a strong vision as well. I think that's what I see is, and having done these other interviews, I hear people, a, a consistency is you have to love what you're doing. I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to be doing it. Probably. I think the vision helps with that. Yeah, because if you see something, you know, you see something so strongly that you want to make happen, then you'll love it because it'll always be contributing to that greater, greater goal. Well, thanks again, Charu, for your time. I'm glad to have you in my network. I'm glad I had a, a chance to briefly meet you during your time in Atlanta or at university. I know you've been in Atlanta for a long time. Thank you, and I look forward to uh, seeing your success. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. You bet. Thank you. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now Network. We highlight historical events, companies, and people in supply chain management and create a picture of where the industry is headed. Interested in learning more about supply chain technology startups, mergers, acquisitions, and how companies evolve? Take a listen to Tequila Sunrise, crafted by Greg White. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up short stories you can use as general conversation starters. The Logistics with a Purpose series puts a spotlight on neat and interesting organizations who are working toward a greater cause. If you're interested in logistics, freight, and transportation, take a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvarez. And check out the newest program, Tech Talk, hosted by industry veteran and Atlanta's own, Corinne Bursa. Versa will discuss all things digital supply chain. If interested in sponsoring this show or others on Supply Chain Now, send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. And remember, supply chain is boring. It's hard when you're, you know, someone who's young, uh, you know, in your 20s, trying to sell supply chain enterprise software to people who are, you know, older and have been in the industry for longer. Sure. And I definitely think that there's a little bit of a perception 
Like, people have said to me, like, oh, that's surprising. Like, I didn't expect you to say yeah. that, you know? And I was I like, it, I why? Why did you not expect me to say something solid?